Hello and welcome to the Soccer ESQ podcast. My name is Mickey Turner. You can find me online on Twitter at TurnerESQ. I write for my own website, SoccerESQ.com, and I'm also a contributor with The Athletic and Center at Heart. And that's what brings me out to the New York area. Uh, currently, I'm in New Jersey, staying with some friends. And I am out here covering the Sounders, MLS, and some other related topics. And I figured I'd just uh, chat a little bit about the trip so far. This is the first half of the trip, and this is actually my last day in the New York area. And tomorrow I will be flying out to Columbus to cover the Sounders taking on the crew there. Also, I'll be doing a podcast uh, Friday afternoon, doing a little uh, Columbus crew-related happy hour. Uh, as most of you know, I was uh, a big cover of the Columbus crew, Save the Crew movement. And I was out there last September 2018 covering a hearing uh, that MLS had filed uh, to try to dismiss the Save the Crew lawsuit. <clears throat> That was ultimately unsuccessful, and the crew were ultimately saved. So I'll be doing a podcast with a couple of the uh, players in that in that suit, and so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, before that happens, I wanted to chat a little bit about uh, my trip so far, uh, what I've learned, what I've seen, and about the Sounders uh, taking on New York City FC and what was an unfortunate game for the Sounders. Uh, again, I'll talk a little bit about that um, in the second half of this particular podcast. But I wanted to first talk about my trip to New York so far. This is actually the first time I've ever been to uh, New York. I've been to New Jersey before, but just uh, did not make it uh, over the over the river to head into the city proper. So I was able to do that for the first time this week. So that was uh, fun. It's been a good trip so far. And there were a few things that I was able to do and people I was able to talk to. So I wanted to just chat a little bit about that. Uh, so I got in Sunday, or left Sunday uh, on a red eye, uh, got no sleep on the plane whatsoever, so that completely backfired on me. I uh, got in Monday morning, did some relaxing, tried to get some sleep, uh, was uh, somewhat successful, but although not completely so. And then was able to just basically visit with some friends and just hang out uh, by a lake. Uh, so that uh, was obviously, uh, that obviously helped uh, quite a bit. And uh, Tuesday... After a day of somewhat rest and relaxation, I was able to uh, have a lunch or have a meeting with a uh, colleague, uh, Eric Stover, former executive with the Red Bulls uh, and former executive with the New York Cosmos. Uh, he was in the thick of the initial phases of the NASL lawsuit uh, before he left. Uh, as as many of you know, the NASL in 2017 was denied sanctioning by uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, at which point they sued to try to obtain sanctioning and obtain an injunction to allow them to continue to play. That was in uh, the fall of 2017. As you can tell, we are now in the summer of 2019, and the NASL uh, still continues the lawsuit. Um, while uh, Eric isn't involved in, the law, uh, in, the, in that lawsuit per se anymore, uh, it's, uh, he's obviously still following it closely and we we're just generally chatting about some of the interesting things about the lawsuit, uh, that are going on. Uh, the current status of the lawsuit for those of you who may not be specifically following it is that the, 
uh, case is going through the discovery process. They're deposing everybody under the sun. And a trial is not expected to happen until the summer, probably, of 2020. That's probably the most optimistic timeline for that. Uh, unfortunately, for those who are wanting a quick resolution, federal lawsuits are rarely quick. Uh, and especially in a case as complicated this, as this, where you're dealing with uh, antitrust issues, it was never a case that was going to be resolved quickly, especially once they did not get uh, an ASL that is speaking, did not get the injunction. So uh, we didn't talk about the lawsuit, really. It was more just about kind of about general soccer things. Uh, but it was a great conversation. Uh, I had a, a great time meeting them. That was the first time I had met Eric. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'm recording this on July 4th. Uh, so happy 4th of July uh, for those of you out there who uh, celebrate. Um I may get a chance to uh, catch up with Eric again today, so I'm sure we'll ha have some more to chat about if we're able to do so. So, uh, uh, as far as his career, he's uh, he's doing his stuff with a youth academy development and some sports marketing. It sounds like he's got a couple of interesting things uh, working in the pipeline, and so I uh, look forward to hearing more about that uh, as far as some deals that he's working on. Uh, which I'm sure will become public soon regarding some teams that he's working with uh, overseas, potentially doing some marketing and branding stuff here. So that's kind of cool. Um, it was cool to hear about all the stuff that he's doing, and it sounds like some stuff will be down the pipeline that uh, could have some uh, impacts on soccer domestically and potentially a little bit overseas, but mostly domestically. So look forward to hearing more about that and uh just uh, seeing what else he's got, he's got, he's working on. So uh, that was uh, Monday afternoon. Um, and then Tuesday uh, was a big day. I made it into the city for the first time. And I'm a big city guy. I like, I like big cities. And so coming into New York for the first time, which seems like a massive oversight on my part, uh, given that I've, you know, obviously been to LA, uh, you know, Toronto, I've been to London and some, you know, other big cities, not having been to New York for 40 plus years of my life, uh, again, seems like a major oversight, but I was able to finally get in and do that. Um, I had a meeting at MLS headquarters actually on Tuesday, and I was looking forward to this, as you can imagine, uh, you know, I was able to head down to their offices on Fifth Avenue. And they've got a couple of floors at a nice uh, building down in the city. And it's a very nice, uh, very nice office. Uh, it's very modern. I enjoyed uh, getting a bit of a tour, <coughs> the runaround to, to check it out. And very modern. Uh, you could tell that they've, they've grown up from where they were even uh, 10 years ago. I think they've been in those offices uh if my recollection is correct, for around 15 years. But they have done some construction. They've kind of built out two floors. So it's it's a very nice... They've got a big, a pretty big staff, although this 4th of July weekend, mostly everyone was out of town. Unfortunately, no Don Garber. If I saw correctly, uh, he was tweeting about being in, in Cuba at some point uh, during the last uh, few days. So unfortunately, he was not there. Or else I would have obviously loved to chatted him up a little bit. I did uh, talk to Todd Durbin, Durbin Deputy Commissioner, uh, briefly. He was unfortunately running into a meeting, so I wasn't able to chat uh, with him uh, for more than a, a minute or so. And then went out to lunch and had some uh, good conversations. Uh, it was a fun, 
fun time. I enjoyed uh, very much uh, getting out and you know just uh, you know chatting with the people that I frequently email over the uh, email about questions for stories or try to get comments. Uh, mostly they're they're pretty receptive and even when they don't want to comment, they'll at least tell me they're not they're not going to comment on a story. So I rarely get the uh, the overt. Uh, run around or I should say if the, yeah like I said if they're gonna if they're not gonna comment they they usually tell me that so it's not too bad um, and so yeah I've just kind of chatted about kind of the league where things um, are standing uh, where they see things going and a couple of interesting tidbits about uh, what's going on and you know, I would say there is some concern in the league about a potential work stoppage. So this is probably the most important thing for for MLS and uh, domestic soccer fans. Is there's definitely some concern about a potential work stoppage. Uh, for those who may not ha be following particularly closely, the collective bargaining agreement, which was signed in 20, 2015, expires January thirty first, twenty twenty. So that is obviously about six months out from today. Um, the league season ends. In mid-November, as as many of you know, they recently actually that was a story I broke, so I'll toot my own horn there. The league announced that they would be shortening the schedule, so the MLS Cup is is set to to occur on around November 13th. I don't have the date right in front of me, but it's basically the second week in November that was to allow them to get out from under you know, playing through all of the international breaks, breaking up the playoffs, ruining momentum, and to prevent them from playing in extreme cold weather sites. Uh, they got lucky, obviously, last year with the game, the final being held in Atlanta, but the previous two years were in Toronto in mid-December, uh, which is not a especially pleasant place to be if you're having to work outside, which uh, most soccer players are uh, these days. So they uh, moved up the schedule. So with respect to the CBA, they now have a little bit more of a break between the end of the MLS season and the start of the next season, or more importantly, when the CBA expires in January. But they've been talking for about a year regarding the CBA and trying to get a deal done. And unfortunately for uh, you know, fans of soccer in the U.S. who want, don't want to see a work stoppage, uh, they have not yet been able to come to an agreement. Again, they do still have plenty of time, and we don't uh, know if they've made much progress, but to this point, there is not a deal that has been done. I have heard that MLS made what they felt was a substantial offer to the Players Association, and that deal was rejected. So it's not particularly surprising that they've exchanged proposals, and it's not even surprising that... Uh, they have uh, not come to an agreement as of yet. What is interesting from what I was told was the fact that uh, the league made what they felt was a substantial offer that was rejected. So that obviously leads one to conclude that there's not much more room for negotiation if the league made what they felt was a godfather offer or a substantial offer. Now, obviously, that's one side's perspective. Maybe the Players Association thought that the deal was, was no, no better than essentially they had been dealing with in the past. And that leads into the, kind of the next uh, section, which is that, you know, the league understands that the Players Association, uh, a large or at least a percentage of the players 
felt that in the last negotiation they took it on the chin. They did not get what they felt they deserved. And that public perception was that the Players Association didn't get uh, didn't fight enough or didn't get uh, enough um, in those negotiations. I can tell you specifically in my conversations with the Players Association, that is a prevailing feeling that the league uh, essentially was able to convince the associate, Players Association that a substantial increase or going along with what the players uh, would have been more satisfied with was not something that the league could uh could afford essentially for lack of a better description uh was not something the league could afford uh at that time again uh, we're talking about 2014 2015 time frame uh the league has grown substantially since then um you know they've added you know new york city and uh and orlando were about to to come into the league and they had some other expansions coming down the pipeline too but at the time they uh reached uh, a deal uh, you know, the, you know, the, the television deal is still wildly lacking relative to the other big sports in, in the United States, uh, MLS's deal, they get total, including the U S soccer portion of things about $90 million of which MLS gets about 60. At least those are the reports. Uh, obviously that's never fully been disclosed. But again, $60 million a year is not a whole lot of money, especially if you divide it between 20, at that time, 20 teams. That's obviously only $3 million a year, which is basically nothing um, as far, you know, it basically will pay, at, it paid at that time, the operating costs uh, for the uh, salaries that the league pays. As, as most of you know, the league pays all salaries up to the DP level. And at that time, uh, the salary cap was probably three and a half million or so, give or take. It may actually be a, a bit a little less, uh, but obviously that three million per team that they were getting through the uh, through the television deal that basically just covers that. And the salary cap has obviously gone up since then, uh, even if not, uh, not by a whole lot. And then Tam and Gam or Gam, you know, general allocation money was there, but um, the league initiative of respect to Tam was entered shortly after the uh, players and the league had agreed to a CBA and you know, you know, you can tell that the players did not get what they wanted or as much as they wanted or as much as they probably could have gotten in that negotiation. Because even after the CBA that the, the league realized that the salaries were just simply too low and the salary cap was simply too low. And so they instituted this TAM um, stuff to allow them to, uh, you know, to, inject some additional quality into the league the league simply realized that what was happening was not enough but with a relatively nominal tv deal that just that absolutely hamstrings uh, what the you know what the league is willing to offer and what the players can get and the, notwithstanding all that the players again still thought that they got they got you know washed out in that last cba and so it you know the league is acutely aware of the leaks, uh, the players association sentiment. And therefore they are concerned that the players may, uh, you know, from their perspective, dig in, the players will just say that they're just asserting their rights to get what they're, what they're paid. And that is perfectly a legitimate uh, perspective on their part, but just bit in the, again, this is based on my discussion with the league in part on this score. So we, you know, whether there's going to be a work stoppage or not is, is still up in the air. The Lee, the players have been putting out, that they are going to be prepared to strike uh, Pablo Maurer 
recently had a story out in The Athletic. Uh, obviously, go subscribe there. Uh, plug. Uh, recently had a story out that there are strike kits essentially being prepared. Uh, strike you know, PDF pamphlets uh, with financial planning and how to deal with a potential work stoppage, which is stuff that they certainly should be doing just generally because financial planning is obviously a very important aspect of uh, an athlete's life, especially in a league where the salaries aren't especially high, um, you know, on the median. And, you know, obviously guys like Wayne Rooney don't have any worries about that, but your your average MLS player who's, you know, making $120,000 a year, um, who is, you know, frankly expendable in um, when you talk about the type of types of players that the league is moving towards, those types of players should be obviously doing their financial planning because they may not have a salary um, a few years after they sign their deal. And so those pamphlets and uh, preparations are being made by the Players Association, and we'll see what happens there. It's It's certainly something that will be here before you know it, even though they've had discussions, as I said, they've been talking for well over a year, probably about 18 months at this point, about the CBA. It doesn't appear that they're close to a, to a resolution at this point. So uh, watch this space because, you know, once we get into October, there's going to be a lot more stories on the CBA and what's going to be going on. We'll definitely have a lot of that stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll be working on that for The Athletic and for Sounder at Heart as well. Um, and for my own website. So that again, watch this space and you know, we'll see what happens. Okay, I'm back and I wanted to take a little break there and talk a little bit about uh, some other points that came up in my discussions with the league. Uh, the other issue that uh, we had a chat about was solidar solidarity payments, training compensation. The league obviously recently put into place their own solidarity payment training compensation system. Uh, that is to say they agreed or announced that they were going to fully participate in the system and therefore would be connecting or collecting solidarity payments and training compensation and importantly paying those fees when appropriate. For those who may not follow that issue, uh, solidarity payments and training compensation are a FIFA mandated program whereby when a player is signed overseas or transfers overseas, their domestic training partners are to share in some of the spoils from those large transfers or from when you sign with an overseas club. This is to prevent teams from uh, youth academies primarily from being uh, poached, uh, having their players poached by big overseas teams and therefore not being able to uh, collect something from the um, from the time, effort, and money that they spend training players, uh, this was an initiative that started back in uh, around 2003. Um, once uh, the Bosman ruling uh, said that you cannot hold on to players who are out of contract and extract uh, transfer fees from them, um, youth academies and smaller teams then said, "Well, we're putting in all this money, and if players are just going to leave at the end of their deals, uh, what's the point of us investing all this money in uh, training them?" Uh, FIFA agreed with that philosophy and then instituted the program. MLS had never followed or, you know, had never paid those on an official level uh, before, mainly because they weren't developing players in the early 2000s because they were trying to survive as a league and weren't worried about youth development. But as they started to get more involved in that and started to lose players, Weston McKinney being the most famous example, they decided that, well, maybe we should participate in this. So the 
you know, the league is very uh, you know, gung-ho about this, is I think a fair way to put it. They, uh, they're excited about this program. They think that there's going to be a positive return going forward, especially as they continue to develop high-quality and high-profile players who move overseas. And so, uh, you know, a lot of teams were, were getting antsy about, you know, putting all this money into their youth development and seeing the players leave for nothing. So the league's very excited about this. Uh, who aren't very excited about this are the uh, Players Association, as well as U.S. Soccer. Uh, speaking about U.S. Soccer first, there's, you know, their position, they're not thrilled about this, but they're going to maintain a neutral position. I haven't seen anything uh, that indicates that's going to change, and I've talked to them frequently about this issue. Um, they still think that there are some legal hurdles that may come up at a later point, and they, as you can imagine, are reluctant to be sued again by some entity or entities um, when this issue rears its head um, on there and is put in their doorstep. At this point, they're not really involved per se, and they don't really need to be on the foreign level. They'll just, they're the ones that have to adjudicate disputes or enforce rulings that are made if disputes arise that's probably a better way to put it um you know because the federation is not the one they're not the ones that facilitate these payments coming in or out essentially what happens is if there is a dispute between a youth academy or an mls team and a team overseas though that fight would go to the dispute resolution chamber or to the court arbitration for sport they would hand down a ruling and then it would be up to the u.s soccer federation to enforce that ruling uh you know, if 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 a ruling, if a party who gets a ruling against them decides that they don't want to participate um, or ignore the ruling, then the federation would be the one to sanction them um, to some degree, and that's where the federation uh, starts to get worried because they don't want to deal with that. And so, MLS again, they, you know, it sounds I haven't seen anything from MLS that indicates that they think this is going to be a problem or that they're not going to robustly. Uh, exert their rights and and pay the fees. They they seem to be pretty happy to move forward with this. So this is really about the players' association, and you know I think it's fair to say that the the, the league is somewhat bemused by the players' association's negativity on this issue, and also by U.S. Soccer's reluctance to get involved. Uh, yeah, I, I think bemused is a is a good way to put it. They again, the league doesn't see any problem with this, so they'll continue. They'll, they'll they'll do their thing, and if at some point the players' association gets involved legally, then they'll deal with it. At this point, again, and uh, it's also should be pointed out that the players' association. I've talked with Bob Foos directly on this. They are not going to sue. At least that is not their position at this point. Maybe something changes down the line, but their position is that they are not going to sue and that they cannot sue as a as a union. They're not allowed to 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 pursue litigation directly on this, but they would support someone suit someone suing and they would, you know, kind of be a cheerleader in that regard. It's still unclear who's going to sue and how they would go about suing on this, because again, it would require a player being essentially wronged by the solidarity payments and training compensation system, which is to say that, but for the fact that these fees have to be paid, they would have been able to go overseas. And so this basically would, you know, the theory is this would come into play if 
two player if two players are being are interested uh, in going to a particular team and the team's interested in signing both of them, but one player has an additional thirty thousand dollars in training compensation that is due due, whereas another player, maybe a domestic player who's overseas, uh, doesn't carry that cost, and therefore a team like say Schalke or Borussia Dortmund says, oh, we'll just take a flyer on the kid who doesn't have the additional 30,000 fees attached. And so that player, that U.S. player, misses out on a chance to go to overseas to a high-profile team. So you'd have to prove that was the case. That player would have to prove that the the fees were the reason that they did not get the deal. And it's just, it's, it's a somewhat tough thing to prove because it is somewhat speculative you would basically have to get a letter from Dortmund or Schalke saying, yeah, we would have signed you, but we didn't want to have to pay the $30,000, so you were out of luck. And that's just, again, it, it's it's very speculative. And why would Dortmund or Schalke or any team overseas provide such a letter? Uh, you know, that could potentially provide some exposure to them, although that's, you know, again, that's unlikely, but it's just not something that any corporation is going to do. So, it's it's a tough thing for the players' association and 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 the league MLS doesn't really see a, uh, obviously doesn't see a problem or else they wouldn't have gone and institute or agreed to follow along with solidarity payments and training compensation. So it's again it's not something that at this point there seems to be a lawsuit on the horizon for, but we'll see we'll see what happens down the line. So that was my base that was my visit with MLS. It was it was uh, very informative. It was it was great to go out there. And, and check it out. So uh, it's always nice to put uh, faces to the names of the people that I'm bugging for comments on stories. So it was great. And I, I look forward to visiting it at another point. And hopefully uh, I will get to run into Don Garber or one of the folks up there and, and do an interview with them. So that was my uh, that was my Tuesday, basically. Uh, very busy. I did uh, have dinner with a, a friend, a colleague, uh, Liz Continola, who is a fellow attorney. And uh, lives up in Montreal. She's actually moving down to the uh, uh, New York area for a job. So got to spend some time with her, uh, have a few uh, drinks, went out to dinner. So that was a good time. Got to do a little exploring. And yeah, I had a, I had a great time except for returning to the New Jersey area where I uh, managed to get lost and take the wrong bus and end up in Secaucus, New Jersey at uh, 1 a.m. Uh, that was uh, not a particularly right thing for me to do but I managed to make it home with the assistance of my friend um, and uh, no worse for the wear just a little uh, late and a little uh, little tired so when I come back I'm going to talk about my Wednesday the Sounders and then I'll wrap up uh, this uh, abbreviated edition somewhat of the Soccer ESQ podcast okay I'm back and the last part of my New York trip involved a Sounders game they were visiting New York City FC at Yankee Stadium, and I was covering the match for Sounder at Heart. And as I said, it was as it was my first trip to the New York area. It was obviously my first trip to Yankee Stadium. And as a soccer facility, it is a very nice baseball park. And that is about the best thing I can say about Yankee Stadium in its soccer configuration. Because otherwise, it's, it's just not good. The field which I'm you know has, has been talked about to death but I was there so I'm going to talk about it a little bit myself the dimensions are just <coughs> wildly uh you know out of whack with what a normal soccer stadium should be it's just ridiculously small narrow the turf the uh, the grass was was absolutely awful 
I, people talk complain about uh, field turf in the Sounder Stadium. Uh, they, however, just laid down some new uh, field turf, and I would I'm sure the players would take the field turf over what was going on at Yankee Stadium more often than not. The players were slipping all over the place. Uh, New York City had a, at least two chances that went begging, primarily because of the turf where they slipped at the key moments. And, uh, you know, at minimum should have put shots on goal, but sitting way into the stands uh, because they were falling as they were shooting. Uh, and it was just, it made for a, it made it difficult to watch. Uh, equally difficult to watch was the Sounders' performance in the second half. Uh, I'll go to the first half uh, first. And the Sounders looked pretty good, defensively that is. Uh, offensively, they weren't able to create a whole lot. Uh, Justin Dillon had a very nice Almost goal, but it was rightfully called off for offside. Um, and short of that, the Sounders were not able to create a whole lot of chances. But defensively, as I said, they were very stout in the first half. They had a, a makeshift lineup. Uh, you know, they had Alex Rodan and Jordy Dellum as their defensive midfielders. They uh, had a relatively first choice ish backline in that Kim Kihi and Javier Arriaga got the start, and then they had Nuhu, who's certainly a serviceable uh, left back, and uh, Saad Abdul Salam playing right back. Um, and so, again, that's not a, a completely first choice back line, and it's certainly not a first choice defensive, you know, defensive setup with Delam and, and Alex Rodon. But in the first half, uh, you know, chances aside, they didn't really allow anything uh, that was overly concerning. In the second half, Things just really fell apart. Um, even after the first goal was scored in the 58th minute, uh, Morales got a deflected goal, but that was as a result of the Sounders being out of sorts, and they had been essentially for the few minutes leading up to that. So it was certainly a fair goal, I would say, um, in the scheme of things. A deserved goal for NYCFC. But even at that point, the Sounders were still in the game. Uh, they even brought in Victor Rodriguez and Kelvin Leardham, which should have steadied the ship somewhat and provided some more offensive punch, but it just never came. And the Sounders managed to get just completely stretched, not able to deal with New York City in transition. Uh, New York City was able to pressure the Sounders, and the Sounders were never really able to establish anything on the ball uh, going forward and were not able to keep possession and it just allowed New York City to kind of run run the show. And in transition, their second goal was a nice counterattack. You know, it was basically like a four-on-two. And uh, they got a nice goal. It was completely uh, onside. And from that point, it just wasn't, uh, wasn't going to be the Sounders day, unfortunately. And they just, you know, it just, the, the, I would say that the pressure that they <coughs> they were under, they just were not able to to ultimately deal with, and that's basically what Schmetzer said after the game was that they uh, you know they just weren't able to deal with what New York had, and they weren't good enough to create many chances. And they had uh, Justin Dillon up front who had a decent first half and you know provided a lot of effort, and as I said, had the goal uh, that was rightfully called back for offsides, uh, but he, he's. He didn't create many chances on his own, um, and you know there just wasn't enough quality on the day behind him to provide him with many chances. Uh, Wingo was not as good as he was against 
either Portland or Vancouver. In, in those two games, he was very direct, didn't think, just took the players on, got to the end line, provided crosses, provided shots, um, and was probably un, un, unfortunate not to score in each of those games. Here, he was just not as effective. He was on the ball way too much, and instead of taking players on 1v1, would dribble and get dispossessed, and which led to some dangerous chances, although nothing directly scored off of a turnover. But he just wasn't able to provide much, um, unfortunately, going forward. And you know, the rest of the team just at that by the time uh, you know, Alfonso Campo Chavez come on, came on, was able to provide a few you know, nice moments here and there. But again, the game had all been all but decided at that point. Um, the 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 most ridiculous thing was probably the eight minutes of extra time, um, which seemed completely unnecessary under the in the context of the game. Even though there were some VAR checks and some injuries, and substitutions and goals. That I mean, the eight minutes is you know probably fair, but it was you know it seemed to be unnecessary under the circumstances. But it was an unfortunate game for the Sounders. New York City was better on the day. Uh, the Sounders were just not. Uh, in a place where they could have had a first-choice lineup yet. They still have players out on international duty. The good news for the Sounders is that Nicolas Ladero made it uh, in, with the team and was out on the field doing some training. Unfortunately, he was not, not going to be part of the game, uh, game because he got in at 8 o'clock um, Wednesday morning to join the team and obviously was not uh, fit to play based on the extensive travel. Danny Leva was simply being rested uh, he had played last week two games, 120 minutes in an academy game um, on a Tuesday, and then obviously had the game against Vancouver where he played the full game on Saturday. And as he is only 16 years old and uh, is still getting his legs under him in MLS, he was uh, never going to play, um, and that was that was pre-planned. But he's likely to see some time in some context on Saturday uh, against Columbus, given that the Sounders are still somewhat depleted and uh you know, it seems like a ripe game for him to get into to to exert himself and, uh, you know, continue to impress, especially with the Columbus team that is that is still dealing with the the after effects of the Save the Crew movement, as well as just a transition to a new team and international absences and massive injuries aside. They, they may be the only team that's suffered more injuries uh, than the Sounders have over the past year so. Uh, that's that'll be a ripe game for the Sounders to try to get some points, but we'll talk a little bit about that next time uh, because we've got a I've got a lot of stuff planned uh, for the weekend uh, in Columbus. So the last thing I'll I'll mention about Yankee Stadium, and again the stadium is nice as a baseball stadium. It's not a good soccer venue, and one of the things uh, that has been rumbling a little bit was that there is a potential stadium deal in the works. I am hearing that that is not entirely accurate. I should say it's overblown. Um, it it's it's a tough situation. The MLS says that they had a deal in place for a stadium back when <clears throat> in New York City FC was announced, but that it fell through, and then they decided to go to Yankee Stadium. Uh, and it's clearly a situation that is not tenable long term. Uh, the attendance, while was not awful today, was not great. Um, you know, that's midweek with a holiday coming up, you know, obviously that has probably something to do with it. But the other portion of it is that it's just not a, an experience that soccer fans want to deal with um, at Yankee Stadium. And they need to get their own place, but it doesn't look like that is um, on the horizon, notwithstanding what 
the front office from New York City is, is likes to put out. They put out, yeah, yeah. They hope to have an announcement done by the end of the year. But again, I'm hearing that that is well overblown. And the quote I was given was that it was quote unquote fluff. So take that for what you will. Um, but it doesn't look like New York City is going to be leaving the friendly confines of Yankee Stadium anytime soon. Oh, last thing on the Sounders. Before I wrap up this uh, edition of the Soccer ESQ podcast, uh, Hanwell Buana was not with the team. Uh, that was a team-authorized absence. Uh, Buana is dealing with some family issues that he is helping out with, and the team authorized his uh, leaving him at home uh, to deal with that stuff. So not, uh, it doesn't appear to be anything serious, but it was enough that he needed to handle it, and the team uh, gave him their blessing. So... Uh, it is likely he will not be on the trip um, to Columbus. Uh, fortunately for the Sounders, they will be at about as full strength as is possible. They are still missing, obviously, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, and Raul Ruiz Diaz. Neither uh, that that trio will not be back before the Atlanta game, um, which is on the 14th. So the Sounders still have some issues to deal with at forward. Uh, perhaps Alfonso Campo Chavez <coughs> gets a start. And with Nicolas Ladero there, they can do some false nine stuff. And with Victor Rodriguez and Jovan Jones all back in the fold, they've got enough midfield options where they could maybe move around um, some things and you know maybe play without a, a, a true forward in that set and potentially get a result against Columbus. But again, we'll talk a little bit more about that coming up this weekend. As I said, I'll be in Columbus starting on Friday. I'll be at Sounders training, uh, flight delays, uh, accepted uh covering practice getting some interviews getting some sound bites writing up a story i'll be doing a podcast with some save the crew folks uh plan is to be at endeavor around five o'clock friday evening and we'll reminisce over some uh some of the issues that resulted from save the crew um and just talk a little bit about the saga have some drinks and just kind of uh enjoy enjoy a holiday weekend of sorts so I think that will just about do it for this edition of the Soccer ESQ podcast. I want to thank everyone for listening. Again, you can find me on Twitter at TurnerESQ, at SoccerESQ.com, writing for The Athletic and Sounder at Heart. And I hope you enjoy this episode, and I will talk to you soon.